welcome to episode number 69 of my Pocket Psych. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon, and as always, I'm... No, I'm not joined by Pilar this time. My co-host is absent. I'm all on my own, but I'm hoping you'll stick with me regardless. I can assure you that Pilar will be back next time. This is part three in our recent series all about coaching, and this time we're going to look at life after coaching, which is a really, really important part of the whole process. We've already looked at the fundamental building blocks of coaching back in episode 67, and I shared some thoughts on how to get the most from your coaching experience in episode 68. So if you haven't already, you might want to go back and listen to those episodes first. What we're trying to do in this series is get specific about coaching, which is frequently misunderstood and sometimes misapplied. I want to bust some myths and explain to those of you who are interested in working with a coach what's involved and how to maximize your benefits from the process. I obviously don't want to put anyone off, but I do want to be open and honest about the hard work that frequently needs to be put in. Change doesn't happen with a snap of the fingers. So why do we need to even think about life after coaching? Well, one of the key principles in coaching when it's done well is to avoid dependency. Uh, dependency by the coachee on the coach. And that can take various forms, but but one of the things to bear in mind is that a, a coachee could form a kind of a mental model whereby they believe they'll always have access to that a particular coach, or that they somehow believe that coaching will be an ongoing process for them. And whenever they hit a bump in the road, they'll be able to sit down with their coach or phone their coach up. So to counter that, I, I tried to work at being a, a disappearing coach, a vanishing coach from the outset. I really underline the importance of the practical work that's done between the coaching sessions so that an individual can develop their self-awareness and uh, their belief in themselves. It's all about sharing skills and helping coaches to put those skills into action. And as their self-belief and self-awareness grows over time, fundamentally, they're beginning to really believe, yeah, I can do this and I don't necessarily need the coach to help me. And it's really important to talk about the finite nature of the coaching process, whether it's three, four or six sessions. That's something that's covered off early on. And I, I sometimes talk about squeezing as much value as possible from each session, not to put anyone under pressure, but to remind them that, hey, we've got we've got an hour, we've got 90 minutes today. Let's make sure this really counts because you know what? It's it's halfway through. We're, we're number three of six, we're number four of six, we're getting to the end. You know, let's recap what you've learned. Let's let's hear more about how you're putting things into practice. Let's compare you today with you three months ago. Th- those kinds of things to emphasize, you're learning a lot here. You're taking brave steps. You're doing new, new things. And ideally, I want the coachee to finish the coaching program with increased self-awareness. Having acquired some new skills and knowledge or knowledge, Um, And having made, obviously, some progress towards their goal, if not having met it completely. And I want them to have a feeling of self-belief and optimism about their future. And this is all helped by emphasizing the finite nature of coaching from the very outset. So a really important point of the coaching process and life after coaching is thinking about how you can generalize what you've learned and put it into other contexts, other circumstances. So while I might work with an individual about a 
very specific topic, a goal they're working towards, what they learn about themselves, their thoughts, beliefs, skills, ways that they see the world around them, that can all be used to help them navigate other challenges or step up to other positions and roles. So I thought I'd walk us through a few examples of that to demonstrate that while you're focusing on one thing, you can then use that one thing to help you in other situations. And the first of these, uh, you probably, if you're a long time listener, you probably won't be surprised to hear me mention, but the first of these is the notion of psychological discomfort. You know, these are all the states, the experiences uh, that we feel inside that we, we don't enjoy. And that could include things like boredom, uh, anxiety, worry about the future, uh, uncertainty, th those kinds of things. So it's very much a psychological experience. It's not physical pain or real danger or risk to us as people. And when we develop an awareness of discomfort, we, we can learn to notice it, see it for what it is, and persist with what we're doing. You know, persist towards our goals despite that discomfort. We're not necessarily waiting for it to pass or putting all our energy into removing the discomfort because our mind is telling us, oh, this is terrible. Avoid this. Avoid this. And so maybe our work will start with a focus on procrastination. You know, the root of so much procrastination is the avoidance or the minimizing of um, this discomfort, whatever form it's taking. But we can also use that to help a coachee in other areas. So noticing the discomfort and persisting despite the discomfort could help them speak up in meetings or have a challenging or uncomfortable conversation with a colleague or put themselves forward for a new and a demanding role. And each of these contexts will not require them to sit down with me or another coach. If we've done good work together, they'll know what discomfort is. They'll know that it's not really helpful to focus on removing it from their experience and they'll know the limits of that discomfort because potentially they've spent some time just sitting with it and noticing that worry about tomorrow well that's as far as that goes it doesn't become anything else it's just a, a an experience a transient temporary experience and ideally it shouldn't be in the driving seat uh, when it comes to our decisions and our behavior so generalizing awareness of one concept that's been used to help them drop the unhelpful and sustainable habit of procrastination can therefore be used to help them navigate other situations where the things that are much more important, like addressing conflict, like um, moving up and on in their career, those take center stage. And the incidental temporary uh, discomfort is along for the ride. Another example is a tool that I frequently use, and, and those of you who are familiar with or have been exposed to acceptance and commitment theory will know the ACT matrix uh, developed by Dr. Kevin Polk. Um, it's been amended and iterated by, by lots of other practitioners, but this is a really fantastic thinking, reflection and decision-making tool, ideal for exploring ways of behaving for example, uh, that someone might do automatically uh, and they're not really helpful to them. They're not workable. They're, they're not giving them what they need in a given situation. It's a very simple two by two matrix. And walking through that with uh, a coaching client could help them better understand what is it that shows up 
inside when they're in a situation or even considering a situation? And really importantly, what is it that they're tempted to do to get rid of those internal uh, states? Maybe it's this discomfort again. You know, a form of that showing up could lead them to get hooked by those states. Uh, all the focus is then on dealing with what's going on inside rather than bringing their attention to what's happening here and now in the outside world, the world outside of their mind. And when you walk through someone uh, with them in this uh, matrix and you explain what's going on and what their habits are and what their experiences are and how that's worked for them and maybe how it's not worked for them, you can then allow them to apply it in practice and help them navigate situations and then use it in different situations and to address different forms of unhelpful, unwelcome stuff showing up inside. But it can be used long after the end of coaching to help them make decisions or to spot things creeping in. And of course, used with other people. And I've had coaches who are managers and team leaders do a great job of exploring their team members' um, activity or performance through the lens of the ACT matrix, differentiating the towards moves, anything towards meaningful goals and in alignment with their values versus the away moves, whatever it is we do to minimize, for example, discomfort. Because it's so simple but also impactful, they could simply just draw that out on a piece of paper or on a whiteboard and take someone um, on their team through that long, long after they finished working with me. And I've seen that used to great effect. The final example is one that is all about uh, what to do. And it's a simple priority matrix. Uh, I've talked about it on the podcast before, sometimes called the Eisenhower matrix. Um, but really, it, it's about uh, demonstrating that everything that's on our plate could be explored through the lens of both its importance and its urgency. And if we just focus on urgency, we're, you know, we're going to find ourselves firefighting and reacting to other people's sense of urgency. So looking at the importance or the, the impact uh, is really useful. And then we can see things in, in as being in one of four boxes. It's urgent and important, so we need to do it. It's important, but not yet urgent. So we need to get that in the calendar to make sure that we do it. Um, it might be urgent, but not important. And that gives us a great opportunity, for example, to delegate that to someone. And if it's not urgent and it's not important, why are we spending valuable time and focus looking at it and considering it? So that can help bring clarity to an individual's workload and it can give them a key skill, a lens through which to examine that potentially overwhelming workload. And it can help them with those other things. But, but also they can then take that and use it with their colleagues to talk about whether something's in quadrant one, two, three, and so on. And that can help with communication. It can help with collaboration. And when you're leading a team, it can be a really great way of discussing interdependence and why we're focusing on this bit today and not this bit and how to help people step away from panic uh, because of the perceived urgency of things. Because those, those urgent tasks, you know, they can make a lot of noise and then we get drawn in by that. Does this mean, though, 
that if you take these tools and these skills and these questions you might ask yourself, does this mean that you should never work with a coach again? And of course, the answer is no. But ideally, you're not going to work with that coach on an ongoing basis forever. And ideally, you're not going to sit down with that coach and begin again about the same topic. You will have generalized those wins, those gains, those knowledge um, and skills and use them in different situations. But of course, there could always be a good rationale for someone sitting down with their coach again. I've done that. I've worked with people over different time periods. Usually that's on very different topics and some time has elapsed. I will also suggest a gap of, of a few months if that's appropriate for them to think about it. And then they can come back for another discussion to see do they still feel like it would be useful? And regardless of who they are, what the topic is, I always try to approach it from the perspective of a business case. And would we all approve their business case, a case for coaching? Is it, does it still stand up to scrutiny? Working together in this way, I feel gives the coach the mental uh, space and pause for thought. So they can ask themselves, have I ever dealt with anything like this before? Or how can I leverage my self-awareness to deal with this challenge? What might my coach ask me at this point? And for many cases, that's all they need to do. They don't need to book in more coaching sessions. They don't need to launch into another program of uh, structured development like that. They have internalized a lot of their lessons and they can use them, if you like, under their own steam. And that can do wonders for their self-efficacy, their self-belief, and it can do wonders for how they can take those coaching lessons and share them with others. So what we're really doing is beginning with the end in mind. And that's a really nice principle. If you think about where you want to get to, that goal that ideally we're focused on, well then as we're working together, we're checking our progress against that, reminding them about the finite nature of our relationship, and demonstrating that what they're learning and putting into practice could be applicable elsewhere. And that's a great check-in point. It's a great way of approaching how they're putting into practice what they said they would put into practice and how they can imagine using it in different scenarios, in different contexts. So in a way, life after coaching means being your own coach and even coaching others. And this is the third episode in the series. So we're going to take a look at the third of our big areas of focus. So previously, we've looked at how coaching can help when it comes to well-being and productivity. So the third of the uh, areas is effectiveness. And now long-time listeners will know that I use this word at Work Life Psych instead of referring to soft skills. I really, really do not like that phrase. But effectiveness, the way I use the word, um, this covers all of the skills that help us relate to others and maximize the impact of our technical skills. So what kind of topics do I work on with these clients? Well, when it comes to effectiveness, it could be adjusting to a new level of responsibility and seniority at work and all of the stuff that goes with that. It could be about managing relationships with others at work, maybe engaging in relationship management uh, more strategically with intent it might be dealing with a, a tricky relationship and those two topics can come together. I'm now leading a team where once I was a peer of these individuals and that's proving a little bit difficult. 
Sometimes it's about improving both the volume and the quality of delegation um, to direct reports and to get past the, the stickiness of, of uh, both identifying what could be delegated, but who can I delegate to and getting past the discomfort of investing the time and, and the energy in doing good quality delegation. And indeed, effectiveness can also be about coaching and developing others. So when I'm not training groups in coaching skills, I might be working with an individual in a coaching context so that they can acquire coaching skills, um, maybe coaching with a small C, but it's having those conversations about development. And maybe when it's something they've never done before, or they've never seen role modeled effectively where they work, and now they have to get into it. So just some of the areas um, where the effectiveness topics come up in coaching. And these can have a, a really big impact on someone's um, productivity and their career success. So we're at the end of this three-part series. I hope you found it interesting. I hope you found it useful, whether you are a fellow coach, whether you are someone thinking about working with a coach, or um, you work in an organization and you're considering introducing coaching. I hope it's answered some of your questions, but regardless of who you are, uh, we always love to hear from our listeners. So do get in touch with questions relating to this coaching series. You can drop us uh, a tweet at mypocketpsych or send us a longer message via the contact form on the website. And you can find that at worklifepsych.com slash contact. So what is it you'd like to know about coaching? Um, have these three episodes reflected your own experience of being coached or being a coach? And if you are a coach, what insider reflections would you add to what we've already covered in this brief series? So just to finally reiterate, while it was me, myself and I this time around, next time for episode number 70, I will be joined by Pilar and we have a very special guest. I was so lucky to get some time with the fantastic uh, Sir Kerry Cooper to talk about this working at home thing that so many of us are going through at the moment and the impact of that on, on our well-being and our general experience of work. So it features an interview with him, just fantastic to talk with him. And um, of course, Pilar and I are going to discuss that uh, through the lens maybe of um, what the collaboration process can look like when all of us are in different locations and potentially working in different time zones. So I hope you'll come back for that. And as ever, thanks for sticking with me for this solo episode and look forward to seeing you here next time. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.